Cool. Uh, yeah, I want to give the stage as fast uh, as fast as possible to Patrick. So, hi, Patrick. Uh, nice to have you here. Nice to be here. Um, yeah, today I want to dive deep into this um, experiment going on in Colectivo that the world is not yet aware, but I feel will be um super impactful in how we think of a regenerative economy um with a lot of the macro themes that will become you know uh defining issues of our century so um we'd love to start with um hearing first about what is collectivo like what does it try to do in curacao uh, if you could give a quick run through that would be awesome yeah, absolutely. And I'll I'll start by saying, you know, maybe maybe the lack of publicity here or the the lack of exposure. I'm I'm getting a little bit of feedback, by the way. I don't know where that's coming from. Maybe that's me. Um, it is totally me. I'm sorry. One one uh, second. I open my phone, so it's being um, casted on Twitter Space too. So from my microphone, are you hearing the sound? Yes. Um, you can just exit the Twitter space thing. Right. <laughs> test one, two, three, test. Okay, fantastic. We discovered Perfect. what's going on. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure it's also live there. So no worries. All right, let's do this. Um, so why why is there not like a ton of publicity around Collectivo? That's that's actually kind of purposeful. Um, you know, in approaching this. I used to be a communications director and I've worked with some fairly established brands uh, in the marketing sector, HBO, Netflix, a couple of other folks. So coincidentally in New York. Um, and my takeaway from that was you shouldn't talk about a thing until it's reached sort of a, a certain level of materialization. There's a lot of signal um, in the cryptocurrency space and the Web3 space but there is a, a lot more noise than signal. And if you want to live with a sense of authenticity and want to present a, a narrative that is true, um, as we should aspire to do, then uh, you should talk about things when they're ready in their time. So uh, Collectivo hasn't necessarily gotten a lot of exposure because of this, but when I heard that, or when I was given this opportunity to kind of speak uh, directly to interested students and an interested DAO of, of students, which I find to be fascinating. Um, I was like, sure, why not? The world is full of potential. So I want to I want to kind of rewind and present more of a historicity, you know, of, of, of what's going on here. And a good place to start is, you know, with my own personal history and my involvement in, in the Web3 sector and especially the DAO sector, which is growing in importance, massively um, growing in importance. So I, I started working in Web3 five years ago, and uh, one person said that qualifies me as an old timer, which I, I found both <laughs> respectful and concerning because the, the concerning part there, maybe, maybe it's just, um, you know, happenstance or, or an accident, but most folks who have been in Web3 for five years have retired because they've gotten stupidly rich. So I am just one of the, the sad people left behind, um, ideologically committed to something 
that I perceive as bigger than myself. Um, now, in those five years, uh, I, I sort of had the, the luck um, or the circumstances led me to um, being a pilot manager or a steward of, of the first functioning DAO on the Ethereum blockchain, which was um, quite important, I think. I think this was sort of a historical um, turning point because all of this blah, blah, blah about, you know, digital organizations and self-sovereign um, autonomous organizations, you know, became realized through this pilot. And that um, pilot began in June 2018. So, uh, you know, we're going on four years ago. It's It's been a little while. And in the time since this pilot, um, you know, was launched, it was called the Genesis DAO, and it failed spectacularly. There's a, a few research papers written about it. You can you can read about it yourself. But in the time that since it was launched, you know, there's there's 15 to 20 billion of assets under management by DAOs today. So uh, a 20 billion um, USD industry in four years is remarkable, in my opinion. And that that really depends on how you count things, right? Like that number could be much, much higher depending on you know, where the, you draw the lines of, of where what a DAO is and what a DAO is not. And I'm not going to get into that. There's other folks who have done um, really sophisticated analyses you know, of this particular definition making. And, and frankly, I don't really care all that much. Um, for me, it's, it's more of a determination of, of effect. It's, a, it's more of, okay, what, what are the outcomes of this particular movement, this particular sort of nascent uh, crypto institutional um, formation? Um, and I, I say institutional and I mean institutional. We've lived with these sort of traditional institutions um, in finance, in uh, the, the corporation as we understand it for the last 350 years, um, education, higher education, knowledge production. Um, so we've had a particular framework of, of being and, and the beings produced uh, by this framework, um, now 8 billion today or, or very, very soon. And I believe wholeheartedly that DAOs can open up um, new forms of being because they take the uh, monopolistic privileges afforded to uh, these traditional institutions, um, one of those privileges being something like the production of money or the production of capital, and Dallas put this on his head. Um, you can produce a token in 15 minutes. You can start a DAO in 15 minutes. You can have all of the uh, self-sovereign power of uh, a state or a corporation in uh, just a handful of, uh, in less than an hour. You know, and that's that's historic. That's of historical precedent. I I truly believe that. So, you know, what is Collectivo? Collectivo is uh, following along this line of thinking that uh, we should care about the outputs. We should care about you know who is um, whose lives are changed. You know how these lives are changed and how we can uh, reform ultimately um, the broader institutional nexus of power that exists today. And uh, you got to start small, right? You know, that's a very broad sort of statement and Collectivo is that small start. So Collectivo um, is an experiment. It's a, a pilot to sort of bring DAOs into the real world and to give them all of the tools that have been created in the decentralized finance and uh, Web3 space over the course of the last five, six years. And you can sort of peg that to when Ethereum was first launched, uh, in, in, in my opinion. 
And tangibly, that means that uh, we are trying to create a, a DAO in the real world that has all of the capabilities of a central bank. You know, a central bank is simply a financial protocol that has certain rules, and those rules are those parameters are determined by um, the Federal Reserve or what have you. Um, and we are trying to create a community currency from this uh, localized central bank. And more than that, we are trying to redefine uh, the collaterals that this central bank is using for its uh, money production. Now, I, I firmly believe that money is like breathing. I firmly believe that we need a, a medium of exchange in order to trade with each other, in order to experience each other without some sort of technical artifact that um, you know, has a value associated with it. We, we simply cannot go through these, these motions. You know, there are folks who will argue for a return to a barter economy, for instance, um, but we know barter economies don't work at scale, right? Um, so we invented the, uh, uh, the artifact of money to solve this double coincidence of wants. Now the problem with money today, as you know, it is a, it is a high entropy producing instrument. Uh, money has uh, become, in a lot of ways, divorced from the uh, surrounding ceilings provided by the local ecology, the global ecology that we understand as the biosphere or the uh, the interacting um, ecological spheres. Um, you know, there's the cryosphere and a few others. Um, but money is not taking into account all of these. Um, various things which exist in the real world that are going to um, sort of swallow and challenge uh, humankind as we understand it through the climate crisis. So that means we have to redefine money. And we can go back to a barter system, but that's not feasible. So, so where do we have to move from the, the, the petrodollar? And uh, the proposed solution here, or a proposed um, grounds for experimentation exists in the Collectivo project, where we create these collaterals um, that are attempting to tokenize um, some of these boundaries and to have the monetary expansion of this economy based off of these real world measurements of what's going on with the underlying ecology. And that um, is a very exciting experiment that, you know, was not possible, at least for the last, I would say, year. Like we are just now getting the primitives, the, the oracles which can, you know, do this environmental monitoring, bring them on chain, um, that you can then have smart contracts interacting with for this purpose of managing uh, an effective local regenerative economy. And uh, so where are we tangibly in the project today or where has the project been? Um, the project started as uh, a small pilot called the Curadao um, that was launched, I believe, two, two and a half years ago. Um, a network was built by that because Curadao launched its own community currency called the Curadai. Um, the Curadai was uh, a, a cryptocurrency. Uh, it, it exists on the Fuse chain, um, but it's also a, an example of a cryptocurrency acting as a community currency. So it was pegged uh, to the Gilder, which is the local currency of Curacao. And um, there is a network of users using Curadai today. And so um, moving beyond this initial pilot, which we've learned a lot from, you know, we've, we've learned, um, you know, sort of how this ground network um, uses the currency. What are the important um, community members who should be um, stewarding um, this project and, and, and so forth. And now we are trying to upload, uh, update that. We're trying to transition from um, this initial experiment to uh, a governance system that is self-sovereign, to a monetary system that is regenerative in principle and um, to something that resembles a, a localized uh, democratic 
um, and ecologically sensitive central bank mechanism or assemblage, if you will. And uh, in terms of rolling out the MVP of this thing, we have this, this uh, tentative uh, late Q3 launch of this year. Uh, there's already uh, uh, four or five different teams um, across different parties uh, building this. Um, so it's, it's grown to be quite an extensive project and a very important experiment because uh, we firmly believe if we get this right, um, we will have created a replicable assemblage of, of components, which can be um, brought to more municipalities, brought to more jurisdictions that are looking to create these types of uh, regenerative economies um, that are actually regenerative because they are um, you know, provably taking snapshots of the earth, seeing uh, exactly what's going on in terms of carbon sequestration or the improvement of soil health or um, perhaps there is some participatory monitoring of the biodiversity. And we are using that as the basis of our money supply. So uh, that, that is a collectivo in a nutshell, if I can present it as such. Amazing. Um, well, that was a enjoy, enjoy, enjoyful, enjoyful uh, listening of the story. And um, I just want to start with um, asking why target the money itself? Um, why do you create a local uh, currency that can take into account like um, these um, new kind of metrics that um, you propose to be uh, regenerative? Um, if you could explain more that process. Currency is ubiquitous. Currency is an infrastructure, right? And, and infrastructures are in, invisible parts of our daily lives until they stop working. So um, think of something like electricity. Electricity is available to um, you know, most folks in the Western world. And, um, but when the power goes out, you're like, wow, you know, my life is very different uh, without electricity. And uh, currency is very, very similar. Um, like I said before, uh, our currency um, is primarily based off of the petrodollar. It is, uh, you know, this deal was made um, not so long ago saying that the Saudis, when they do business, uh, they do oil business, they will do it in dollars, right? So currency, um, you know, has this, uh, uh, this direct tie, um, this direct coupling to uh, a high entropy process. And that high entropy, entropy process is the consumption of fossil fuels. So if we are serious about um, reducing the amount of entropy um, that is being produced by human civilization, we have to look at how we're accounting for that civilization. Every great um, change in, uh, or, or every great shift in, in the way that we organize and coordinate as a species has been accompanied by uh, some shift in finance. You look at the rise of, of financial capitalism 
And that was that is a a historical trend that started in Italy when they said, okay, you put my gold, you can put your gold in my lockbox, and I will charge you this much for it. But then I'll let you lend out this coupon um, that you know is equal to the price of the gold. And okay, now they invented banking, right? And it was not short uh, long thereafter that we came up with the West India Trading Company and and, and so forth, or East India Trading Company. Uh, pardon me, uh, and you know shareholder capitalism. So um, what is required now, you know, is if we want to have this shift in the real world, which I believe we do, because, uh, you know, we don't want hundreds of millions of displaced people, we don't want insane weather, we don't want to hit this um, four degrees Celsius threshold that, you know, could bring us all the way to plus 13 degrees Celsius um, uh, due to these, these uh, uh, leveraged effects or these, these runaway effects of climate change. Um, then we simply have to change the underlying accounting. We have to say, listen, the states has done a very good job with its accounting for the last uh, couple hundred years, um, but it did miss one crucial part, and that's all of the hidden externalities of consuming a, a, a highly concentrated source of energy and using that to leverage one's economic growth. So uh, this to me is the um, linchpin. This to me is... Uh, you know, you look at systems theory, what do they say? If you're going to intervene in a system, you have to look at what is the entire system is predicated on. You know, what are these, these key points, um, these leverage points in which changing these leverage points will change the system as a whole. Money is that leverage point. There's, there's no way around it. If we do not move away from the petrodollar, if we do not move away from um, state-run finance as it exists today, we won't fix the entropy problem. And therefore, we won't fix climate change. Therefore, things will become progressively less and less stable as we move through the 21st century. Hello. Hello. Oh, sorry, my connection got lost a second, but um, I, I, I missed your last part, but um, the question that I wanted to ask was then, I guess, changing the money also changing the metrics that influence the movement of the money. And um, one of the biggest like, hits at the collective paper was, you know, this uh, not GDP as a macro defining feature of how we organize our economy, but the metrics that uh, we as a community choose uh, that we value. Um, so how maybe uh, if you could also like, expand on that, like how does like moving away from GDP actually work for a local currency? Uh, how can it organize itself differently? Right, so, so we have to understand, you know, GDP was a way of measuring things, you know, come up that was a, a group of statisticians came up with in the 20th century for, for all extensive purposes. But, um, GDP is just one way of measuring things. For, for better or worse, it became um, the dominant way to do so because Samuelson in his you know, uh, textbook uh, economics uh, used GDP as this sort of uh, measurement device. Uh, you can have all sorts of measurement devices. Um, you can have uh, something like carbon accounting. 
Okay, Car carbon accounting, they, you know, they look at this data, they look at these um, reports of the way that some land or, or, or sea territory is being managed. And they say, okay, um, well, listen, you did things in this way. So um, according to this methodology, you have earned 2 million uh, uh, carbon credits with this particular grade, right? And that's, that's a form of accounting at the end of the day. And that form of accounting is actually much more rigorous than a 0% collateralization ratio um, by a central bank, which means they're just printing money, you know, money printer go burr. Um, it is much more uh, rigorous than the issuance of debts. Um, so there's there's not a lot that's all altogether different between something like um, this already existing uh, 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 institution and Olympus Dow, right? Uh, just this idea of we're going to create uh, U.S. treasuries, we're going to issue them, and then we're going to leverage those treasuries to create dollars, right? Like the, this, this two-token system um, <laughs> that exists, um, that is the U.S. financial system. So, you know, uh, these value accountings, in my opinion, should uh, primarily be off of a uh, change of real world states. They should be based off of a provable change in real world ecological states. So we should be able to, to attribute um, a particular land stewardship to uh, um, some group, uh, perhaps a DAO, uh, maybe it doesn't label itself as such, but uh, we'll say a DAO. And uh, you know, we see that, hey, they're actually doing a pretty good job based off of these satellite photos. They they have uh, satisfied various environmental indices, um, and uh, based off of their stewardship, they now uh, mint you know x amount of tokens um, that can only be minted through this particular form of stewardship with these environmental index constraints uh, applied. Uh, so this is a methodology, right? And this creates uh, this enumerates um, some re real world phenomena uh, in a much more rigorous fashion than finance as it exists today. And uh, this is the way I would like to see things go. Now, I was doing some moon math uh, the other day. There's, there's this, um, this uh, token called the base carbon ton, uh, the BCT that exists uh, on the blockchain today. It's created by uh, using Toucan protocol. And uh, the base carbon ton, you know, is supposed to be roughly equivalent to the sequestration, uh, the voluntary uh, or a voluntary um, offsets of, of sequestration of one ton of carbon, right? Like that's why it is called the base carbon ton. And, you know, I, I was comparing this to a book I'm reading right now called Carbon Farming. Um, and the, the book sort of talks about, okay, how many, how much do we actually have to sequester to prevent the worst of climate change from happening? And they came up with this uh, sort of number that, that when you add everything up, it's more or less 1.3 trillion um, carbon tons, right? Um, today, Toucan Protocol is led to something like 30 million uh, carbon tons being sequestered through the issuance of BCT and the, the purchase and retirement of these offsets. Um, all uh, uh, complications or, or failure modes of the carbon value chain notwithstanding, let's just use that 30 million number. So, so drop in the bucket, right? But a, a very good introductory drop, a very good uh, initiation um, and demonstration of uh, the momentum towards the type of collaterals that we actually need, towards the type of cryptocurrencies which should actually exist, cryptocurrencies that represent at their heart a, a provable reduction of entropy of a real world ecological system. And this, in this particular instance, carbon sequestration. Um, and so the, the currency that you create itself is also backed by, um, in a way, nature and 
so the currency's expansion is also tied to regenerative levels of the nature, how it is actually growing with the economy that is living on top of it. Uh, am I understanding it right? I would, I would change sort of your framing here. Um, well, first, I, I wouldn't necessarily use nature. I would just simply use this terminology of ecological state. Nature, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> nature, capital N, it has this big ontological sort of baggage attached to it, going back to Latour and political ecology. And then, um, you know, there's been a lot of deconstruction around like what nature is, what it should be and so forth. And I don't think we necessarily have to get into that. I think um, to the extent that we understand this thing, it is an accounting of ecological state. And in terms of the economy, as we understand it, the economy does not sit on top of this thing. You know, there's there's a reframing here where we have to understand that the economy, the human economy, is a subset of the um, larger bioeconomy or, or uh, ecology in which it is embedded. You know, um, and in most, it should be locally embedded. In my opinion, the, a big problem with globalization is you don't have these local embeddings, or they're not as strong, or um, they're extremely um, fragile. You know, our, our our gesture here as a civilization or our movement should uh, be at large towards anti-fragility, not because of um, sort of this ontological interpretation of nature, um, but because of a survivalist instinct more than anything else. We have to um, reach this understanding, which is a true understanding that the economy, you know, as Kate Raworth in her donut economics books or any student of ecological economics um, puts forward, the economy is a subset of the ecology and it does not exist on top of it. Um, it is actually reliant on it. This is, this is the egg, if you will. Okay, um, I see Matt is raising his hands. I guess, Matt, you have a question? Yeah, like, first of all, this was a very thoughtful and like provocative talk. Thank you so much, Patrick. So I just wanted to ask, how would you see the change in the perception of the parameter in terms of the performance like of economic activity or like societal activity? Like you said, there could be a, some shift towards the GDP to this carbon credit in terms of measurement performance like such as before 70s debt financing was like completely okay thing for states to have in this keynesian world but after the neoliberal ideology change we see debt is uh, perceived something as evil itself as necessary evil so how would you see those or like those organizations will change the perception around uh, parameters like would it be something like social movement like thing how would you frame that like just curiosity can you define a parameter as you're you're using it in this context yeah like you said uh, G gdp to this carbon-based calculation right so I, I don't know if I understand <laughs> the question, but I, I will try to, to riff off this idea of, of parameterization. Um, at the end of the day, collateral, maybe not necessarily currency, but capital um, is sort of a parameterized representation of something. Uh, 
in the case of fiat, you know, this, this is a representation of uh, the United States monopoly on violence um, within uh, its this bounded ge geo-territorial context. Um, when it comes to, to debts, you know, the U.S. is saying, hey, uh, we can create debts because we can leverage our um, ability to force citizens to pay for this debt at some point, you know, maybe, maybe not now, but at some time in the future, you know, we can levy taxes because we have the monopoly on violence over, you know, 340, 50, I lost track, um, odd million people, right? And it, this to me is a very problematic um, parameterization, if you will, of, of money. We, we shouldn't, uh, one, we shouldn't be leveraging um, the, the potential earning power of, of people as they exist in the present. Um, and, and two, um, we shouldn't trust an institution with this level of control over this many people. You know, this, there is no way to mediate the local and the global when you're looking at um, something as large as, as the United States. It's, it's simply um, unable to, to have um, a, a bilateral relationship with any sort of uh, locally embedded ecologies. And anytime uh, there is a culture that has um, this bilateral relationship with their ecology, you know, look at indigenous people, um, the state, uh, particularly the United States, um, removes them from their land, um, offers them the poor uh, land, so the, the agriculturally um, uh, uh, poor land. And, and you know, basically uh, there have been hundreds of years of slaughter for, for various purposes. So um, the institutions that exist today and the parameterization of the monies that they issue is, is based off of a history of violence, but also a very, very straightforward rejection of any sort of relationality with um, the, the, the ecology. You know, it is, it is a money divorced from reality itself. And this um, divorce is enforced by violence. So um, when I look at sort of the, the, the transition that needs to occur here, um, we, one, we need more local monies. Two, those monies need to be based off of the local ecology so that we have clear accounting signals that um, you know, this area is dying, therefore its ability to sustain life is dying, therefore the humans living in this area are going to have a much harder time of things. Um, and the, the parameterization, uh, therefore, does not become state violence, it becomes natural regeneration, it becomes um, uh, sort of these, these acts of, uh, of, of, again, provable reductions of entropy. Carbon, you know, I, I, I know you went back to this carbon example, because it is sort of the, the titular example, if you will, um, but there's many, many forms of accounting besides carbon. When you dive into um, for instance, ecosystem services, um, you begin to see like a huge variety of, of um, phenomena, uh, existing phenomena, um, whether it's, it's biodiversity or water quality or, or, or nitrogen uh, content in soil, um, which are equally as important or more important in a lot of ways than carbon accounting um, that need to be worked on as well. You know, and any uh, proper parameterization uh, of this should look at all of these properties, um, acknowledge this bilateral relationship between the, the human and the non-human um, and, and uh, stabilize uh, that mediation. Thank you. It clarifies my question actually a lot. Thanks. Well, Diego, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I was um, going to jump in about this parameterization because I find it really interesting. Um, so, so I think you know we're looking at ecological changes in state, 
like carbon and or biodiversity or plastic in the ocean as kind of like natural things to count in a sense. And um, but if you look at kind of root cause, like what drives those changes in states is changes in culture, right? That are demanding uh, some different form of organization or or different memes in society that really spread. And so, have you given any thought to how we could use kind of like that look inside that machine that changes state, which is culture? Um, and count things there, parameterize things there in order to uh, encourage them. Yeah, I, I get in trouble when I talk about culture, um, as, as most uh, crypto folks do. But uh, so I will acknowledge that maybe some of what I say is problematic and you know, can be critically dissected, and, and I encourage folks to do so. Um, I, I take a sort of a strictly institutional perspective of culture. I see, um, you know, collectives and, you know, the control uh, mechanisms that uh, collectives introduce um, in society as, as actually producing uh, a, a lot of culture. I don't see it as being the other way around. Um, so when we look at, uh, you know, the, the large sort of coordination bodies, institutions that exist today, uh, when you evaluate the top 20 um, capitalized institutions in the world, you know, 16 or 17 of them are financial institutions. They are, they are banks, they have co-ownership relations, so they, they actually have formed sort of this resilient, um, um, hyper-connected um, network, um, and they exercise full financial control over the, the rest of the world. And so when you come to me, and, or when someone comes to me and they say, uh, you know, what, what cultural changes have to happen, uh, my first response would be, we need to deconstruct um, and uh, make toothless this network of of um, relations within this uh, these top 20 um, financial institutions. Because if we do not do that, the culture will not be able to change. You know, we, we can't ask people to stop um, living suburban lifestyles um, when BlackRock has a particular uh, investment strategy around suburban housing. And BlackRock has uh, relations with all of these banks which are issuing loans um, for, for housing construction. You know, that's uh, not feasible. Again, we have to look at um, what are the weaknesses um, that these particular institutional bodies may or may not have. We need to target them and only by targeting them can we begin to open up cracks. When we, we can begin to open up opportunities um, that can be exploited by, um, you know, more self-aware um, uh, collectives uh, or subjectivities um, that say like, oh wait, here, here is a spot where um, you know, the control society has become weak because of this opening up of, op uh, of, of space, of, of the potential of, of uh, sort of a, a reduction in path dependencies uh, for the institutional matrix that already exists. Let's go there, you know, and let's widen that hole. And I think a lot of that's already happening right now in web three, you know, decentralized finance can exist with this particular critique of, oh, wait, this is just a um, sort of hyper-financialization, right? Like this, this is just crypto bros. You know, these are, these are white dudes taking out a bunch of risk and a Silicon Valley sort of um, uh, echo, if you will, and, and nothing has really changed. And they're right. 
in, in some respects, but what they're wrong about is um, this, this um, sort of vanguard, if you will, has gone out and, and opened up financial opportunity for, for hundreds of thousands of people that didn't exist before. If you're in the global south, you never had the option of, of uh, getting a proper insurance. Right. And now today you can go to Nexus Mutual, you can go to a number of other insurance providers, and you can have uh, uh, through a trustless mechanism insurance for um, what may have you. Right. Um, you were never able to get a loan issued in 15 minutes or less without some counterparty um, determining um, the nature of that loan. Uh, there were many things that that uh, billions and billions of people were not capable capable of financially accessing and doing before three years ago, when DeFi really started to pick up. Um, so this crack has been opened up and now the culture has an opportunity to change. And um, if I could maybe turn it back towards the, the interior, like how should the culture change? Um, I, I think there needs to be a recognition of the facts, a recognition of, of what is existing. You know, there, uh, my, my big critique um, for these types of cultural changes is there's this this sort of like um, you know fake movement towards um, nonviolence, or there's sort of like these performative gestures about um, or, or or what have you. Uh, maybe something like Burning Man is a really good example there. Um, but for true ontological shift, the first thing we need to do is we need to say, listen, we have 20, 30 years to figure out climate. After that, it's too late, and we have to live with the consequences of our actions. We already have to live with the consequences of our actions. We are going to deal with mass migrations. We are going to deal with disasters. We are going to deal with a lot of things in our lifetimes, which are inevitable at this point in time. Once that recognition is there, we can all start to live in a shared mental model that didn't previously exist. You know, we're no longer arguing about um, whether or not the house is on fire. The house is on fire. Okay, and culturally, what we choose to do about that can only happen after the recognition of those facts. And I believe that an alignment of culture will emerge once those facts are recognized. Amazing. And so what are your thoughts on um actually people um, in the islands um, being able to govern their own currency. So how does that look like? How, how, does, how do you imagine a govern, governance process that um, you know, can take into account the familiarity level of people with uh, the crypto technologies that we are using? Um, is there a need for like, expertise? Um, how are these kind of needs around managing a currency um, organized with, uh, of course, understanding of giving voice to the there's, itself? There is a huge pedagogical challenge ahead of us. There, there is an unlearning that is required, um, that is collectively required. We have been spoon-fed um, the money, we have been spoon-fed um, education. We have been, and, and for many people, they've been spoon-fed religion, and they've been. Uh, the, uh, there has been sort of this projection um, by the powers that be onto our lives. And before we can like fully have sort of a self-sovereign governance, before the people of Curacao or the people of any jurisdiction can have that self-sovereignty, they must unlearn 
um, this, these, this sort of like locking in. Uh, they must unlearn the the world that they grew up with, and uh, that that is going to be a challenge. Um, we're we're going on a trip to Curaçao in two weeks. I'm taking um, uh, more or less four uh, persons who are doing various uh, UX researches, and um, the idea is is not to sort of come in with a prescriptive gaze. the The idea is not, hey, um, listen, we. Yeah, conviction voting. Here's here's a popular crypto mechanism for governance alignment. Um, we th we think you all need conviction voting, so we're building a governance system around conviction voting. That that is just about the worst way to, to build a governance system. Um, we we are bringing these folks to Curaçao, and we're saying, what do you think is fair? How do you think money should be distributed in this economy? Because money money is a distribution problem at the end of the day. Um, and we are trying to create functional mechanisms where signals and preferences um, by the people of, within this local context can express what they think is important. And we are trying to create a functional mechanism where the things that they think are important can be translated into uh, uh, funding and real action. We have not yet gotten to the stage, though, where we can prescribe um, some form of, of governance. You know, we we don't have um, 63 or, or what have you uh, old white dudes in a room working on a constitution. Um, we, and I don't think we ever should um, go to, to that uh, stage. I think there's always going to be a, a participatory sort of um, design process and Governance, you know, governance is the rules of a thing, and governance is the rules to change the rules, right? And we we haven't prescribed either of these things. We have simply said, um, listen, we are going to collect stakeholder insights. We're going to try to figure out um, what the already existing network of participants and collectivo think um, and understand about justice, about fairness, about um, the practicalities of how an alter economic space um, should be governed. And then we're going to work towards an implementation um, that matches their preferences. And that's that's kind of the philosophy we're taking now. It will become more concrete, you know, after we've had these two weeks of um, uh, user research and perhaps another trip after that to um, verify you know, this um, implementation that we, we come up with. And kind of once we get to uh, um, those stages, maybe more towards the end of Q2, uh, I'll be able to say to you, yes, this is the governance system we're using. Um, Otto might have disconnected again, but yeah, I mean, we're- Oh, no, no, sorry. Uh, I was just on mute. <laughs> okay, no worries. I was wondering. Yeah, yeah I just wanted to ask- you know, Oh, shit, sorry, my bad. I'm, I'm going to get quiet now. No, don't worry about it. I was going to say we're moving towards the last five minutes. So actually, I just wanted to give space for Patrick to uh, wrap up his thoughts. Is there like anything you want to say? Any message to our audience? I, I want to speak to, you know, all of these different refi collectives that are emerging. Refi, when I say refi, I mean regenerative finance. Um, this has become kind of the latest crypto trend, uh, or Web three trend. And I've I've lived through a couple in my life. So, um, I think the number one thing that you can do 
as, as a refi collective or a refi DAO is to um, go, um, go get married. Go get married to a territory. Dis discipline yourself, the governance of your collective and the rest the restorative actions um, or changes in ecological state that you want to um, bring to this territory and learn from that. Um, I, I think there is a praxis um, that that must be uh, that that folks should begin exploring of of uh, uh, territorial management. And I say territory because we have this real bias towards the land, but um, there are coral restoration groups in Curaçao that we're engaging with um, for the purposes of Colectivo. And the sea is uh, just the ocean just so happens to be much bigger than the land. So. Um, uh, it could be that 70% uh, of these refi collectives are, are um, aquatic biased, and they should be, um, to, to be totally frank. So um, go get married to a land, go understand, um, uh, pardon me, a territory, go understand that territory, go work to change that territory for the better, um, explore a tokenomics around this territory, and, and learn how you can um, grow and support um, both the human and non-human actors um, that you're engaging with as a collective. You know, try not to have this, this anthropocentric gaze, um, really try to, to have these interspecies relations. And I, I believe that if just a handful of collectives from all of these emerging DAOs that I see coming out of nowhere on Twitter and what have you, uh, I believe if just a handful of them take this disciplined process, adopt this particular praxis, um, we will be in a very, very good shape um, uh, one to two years from now uh, when we're looking at um, a scaling up of this particular movement. Thank you so much. That was such an inspiring message that you gave. Um, we really appreciate um, that you joined us here today and it's been an amazing conversation. Atta, do you want to close it up if you have anything left to say? Yes, just want to say thank you again, Pat. Um, and um, I'm like, I'm already, you know, like thinking about the way you frame uh, this project relation to all the other kind of issues that I've been, in a way, discussing with my friends uh, always in the head. Um, it always excites me how. Um, creative kind of mobilizations are possible and we get to participate in this and just like hearing you again reminded me of kind of unique position we have as the young people exploring what we can do together in the web3 space um, so it was again a great pleasure to listen to you and yeah thanks everyone for thank coming. you thank you for having me and, and very sorry about the the technical disruptions no worries. This was really nice. So uh, we're switching back to Twitter, but it was really nice to have you. Have a nice day, everyone. Bye, Pat. Cheers.